Hey, it's Ryan Reynolds, and I'm here with Keith, co-star of my upcoming film, If, only in theaters May 17th. Do you want to tell people the big news? All right, I'll do. Sign up now and you'll get unlimited for $15 a month in six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan on us. Mintmobile.com slash switch. Upfront payment of $45 equivalent to $15 per month. Unlimited over 40 gigabytes per month. Face lower speeds. Videos at 480p. Active Mint customers by 531.24 get six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan. Auto renews after six months. Offer ends May 31st, 2024. Separate Paramount Plus registration required. Terms and conditions apply if rated PG. Support for Luke's English Podcast comes from my listeners in the form of donations and thank you if you have sent a donation to the podcast you are keeping this podcast alive but also uh, support comes from my sponsors and the sponsor for this episode is of course italki Uh, they're my main sponsor and uh, italki is a service that will help you to develop your fluency in english by having conversations and lessons online with teachers and community tutors. Community tutors are not qualified teachers, but they are native speakers that you can talk to, and they're a bit cheaper than the qualified teachers. There are lots of different people available. Teachers or community tutors are probably the ones that you want to go for. You can also uh, arrange language exchanges free. Anyway, check out italki, and to get some speaking time and claim that italki voucher worth a free lesson just go to teacherluke.co.uk slash talk or click an italki logo on my website in order to get started. You're listening to Luke's English Podcast. For more information, visit teacherluke.co.uk. Hello, listeners. Welcome back to the podcast. How are you doing? Hope you're doing all right. I'm doing okay, although I'm slightly under the weather. I'm suffering from some kind of cold virus. I don't know what, but uh, it's making me tired and a bit grumpy. And I've got a sore throat and a cough and I've been off work. And uh, you don't want to know. I won't go into it. Okay. Anyway, this episode is... Uh, The Rick Thompson Report. Now, if you're new to the podcast, then you might not know about these episodes. The Rick Thompson Report is when I speak to my dad, Rick Thompson, about news. I say news, I mean Brexit. I mean, we always talk about Brexit. And many of my listeners request more of these episodes. I get messages from listeners saying um, something like, oh, I saw some of the news about Brexit. It's really complicated. I think we need another episode of the Rick Thompson Report. That's that's the thing. People say to me, I think we need another episode of the Rick Thompson Report. It's usually when there have been some events uh, surrounding Brexit. This time, those events have been the resignation of certain members of the cabinet. The cabinet is basically the group of senior members of parliament the ones who are responsible for uh, certain institutions in the country, like, you know, you've got the education minister and uh, you've got the finance minister and so on. Okay, so these are the, the, the kind of most important members of the government selected by the prime minister. And so we've had various members of the cabinet resigning recently, resigning in protest they're protesting. What are they protesting? You might be asking. Well, they're basically protesting the deal which Theresa May has managed to put together. Uh, This deal is a sort of negotiated position. It's a position that she's managed. I don't know. It's her or her team. It's hard to tell who's been actually doing the negotiations. I think Theresa May has actually been doing a lot of it herself. So she's negotiated with members of the European Union a kind of an agreement that the UK will have with Europe if and when they, um, we, it, withdraws from the EU on the 29th of March next year. So that agreement covers things like how we deal with trade. You know, will there be some sort of trade agreement And it deals with things like customs. How do we deal with goods that move between the UK and Europe? Because at the moment, obviously, we're in the EU. And there is, like, we have all these amazing agreements that mean that uh, goods and services can move back and forth between, well, 
not even back and forth, can move around inside the European Union without any friction. So there, there aren't many barriers that prevent people moving around the whole Union. Uh, there are not many barriers that prevent trade happening between all the countries that are in the in the Union. There are not many barriers that prevent goods being moved around as well. Now, all of this stuff is... The fact that there are no barriers is really important because it basically allows life to, to go on. You know, it allows everyone to do their business. It allows people to just go to and fro. And um, it's hard to, if you don't know about it, it's hard to really get across to you just how pervasive um, this situation is. And if you might think if you don't know about the subject very well and if you're just seeing it from the outside or you haven't read about it very much you might think well why doesn't the UK just leave I mean just what's all the fuss about why is there so much news on this why does it seem so complicated why doesn't the UK just leave the European Union surely they just need to sign a few documents and Bob's your uncle well it's not as simple as that at all and we're talking about if the UK leaves the European Union without some sort of replacement deal then the uk just won't get fruit and vegetables on the shelves of supermarkets medicine doctors uh, security so many things oh i i really can't I, I can't summarize it clearly and quickly in just a couple of minutes in this introduction i think it's probably best to let my dad talk about it but anyway the the the, the context the recent context is that Theresa May has managed to get a deal together that the European Union have said, okay, that's that's good enough. We'll we'll agree to that as long as you can get your you know your government, the rest of your government to agree to it too. And also the the House of Commons, all of the MPs from the other parties, they've got to vote on it as well and basically accept it too. So Theresa May is in a difficult position. She's had to negotiate some sort of an acceptable withdrawal agreement with the EU. And also she's going to have to convince the members of her party that it's a good deal. And some of the members of the Conservative Party are really hardcore about Brexit. They're real purists and they want nothing but total freedom, as they would call it, although I don't see it as freedom, from the EU. I, okay, I'll just let my dad explain it. It's far too hard for me to be able to do it succinctly. I mean, briefly. So I think it's probably time to stop this introduction. And let's just hear my dad talking about it. I think it's probably wise. Okay then, so here is my dad, Rick Thompson, a.k.a. Rickipedia. We call him Rickipedia because he sort of knows something about everything. Um, and you can just ask him a question and he'll just go on and on and on about it for ages. And it's like, oh, wow, it's like I don't need to check Wikipedia. I can just ask uh, my dad. So that's why we call him Rickipedia. All right then, so I might as well just consult Wikipedia on this one. And so here is the latest Rick Thompson report uh, entitled Brexit Chaos, because that's the situation at the moment, uh, a state of disorder and confusion. This is the Rick Thompson report with Rick Thompson. Hello, Dad. Uh, hello, Luke. Welcome to the new Skypod. Well, I know my first time in the new Skypod. There seems to be a lot of equipment Lots of wires and microphones and things like that. It's, a, it's almost like a major recording studio. Mm. Yeah, mm. well, wow. I think I've probably got slightly more than I need because um, it's quite fun playing with all the, the equipment. And there's me. lots of instruments here, musical instruments. It's a bit like being Abbey Road, isn't it? Yeah, yeah. Mm, yeah. It's a lot like Abbey Road yeah. Studios. Exactly. Okay, so then, uh, first thing we need to do is just de de deal with the weather report. That's the usual opening for ep episodes of the Rick Thompson Report. Okay, well, the weather here in La France is uh, nice and sunny, but cold. Mm -hmm. Chilly, but sunny. Yeah. And back home, um, I don't know what it is. I think it's probably a bit grey. It's been grey and murky and misty and mm. chilly and autumn. It's nice, though, isn't it, today here? Yes, it is. Cold, as you said, but beautiful blue sky. That's right. It's my favourite kind of weather, that is. Mm. Like fresh, 
clear. Right now, that's the weather report done, fresh and clear. But uh, <laughs> that's the only—that's pretty much the only thing that's fresh and clear uh, in the news at the moment. I would say, um, and I'm talking about Brexit, of course. Yes, well, the weather over there is more appropriate in that it's um, it's misty and murky and uh, low visibility mm-hmm. uh, and a little grey. Yes, right, and miserable. And miserable. Yeah, okay. What, so, being in France and having been involved in a, a flat move and being busy with uh, our young daughter and all that stuff, it, it's, it's, I haven't really been able to pay close attention to, to what's been going on with Brexit recently in the last couple of months or so. Um, but just looking at Twitter, as I do um, every day, and just seeing little updates on The Guardian and the BBC's websites and stuff, um, it just looks like absolute madness and chaos. It's really, really hard to understand what's going on. Could you possibly clarify it for us? That's a very difficult question. Everybody is saying we don't know what's going on. Everybody's saying we're confused. Even journalists who've been following this are saying, I don't know what to write about this anymore. Mm. In many ways, everything has changed since we last talked about Brexit, and nothing has changed. What, what, what was the situation last time? Do you remember? Well, um, that the government in the UK was negotiating with itself, mm-hmm. you know, trying to work out what it is they actually wanted, you know, uh, trying to keep the people who are um, very, very strongly in favour of Brexit and the people who aren't. And within the Conservative Party, trying to get them on some kind of single track uh, and lots of discontent. And the Foreign Secretary, Boris Johnson, had resigned. And everybody thought this was because he thought he'd emerge as the new Prime Minister, but hasn't actually happened. How would he emerge as the new Prime Minister? Well, because, because uh, you know, the the people in the party who, who don't think Theresa May is doing a good job would turn to him to uh, be the negotiator who would bring about a better Brexit Britain and he was using those kind of um, old-fashioned wartime languages like she's raising the white flag and we should take the battle to the enemy you know did the enemy really? yes he really did, did. He really say that? yes he really did oh, and, so, and this has not gone down very well and I think that um, the idea of Boris Johnson being the new prime minister is still slightly unlikely but you know it's very dangerous to predict anything so the situation is that there have been a number of developments, not least in recent days. Here we are, as we speak, it's the middle of November, it's mm-hmm. the 18th of November, and of course people should know that because who knows what's going to happen tomorrow. Mm. Um, but uh, the, the, the deal that Theresa May managed to get her cabinet, her government, to agree, some of them reluctantly, has kind of slightly started to fall apart with a number of some of them senior ministers resigning because they can't accept this deal. So she's had to make a deal, a package. Uh, she's, she's had to create this deal, which she's then going to bring to the EU. But first, she's got to make sure that everyone in her cabinet agrees with the, it's the deal. Been, it's been happening in parallel. And while the negotiations with the EU in Brussels have been going on, she's been trying to negotiate with her government at the same time. Right. Uh, the last time there was um, there was a, a, a negotiation with the EU in Brussels, both sides agreed a, an outline withdrawal agreement. This mm-hmm. is stage one. We agree that you know the terms on which we're going to withdraw, and then stage two is you start discussing future relationship over trade in particular. Um, and the EU accepted. Michel Barnier, their chief negotiator, accepted that this outline deal was going to be okay, and this was carried back to the cabinet, mm. but a lot of them didn't think it was okay, including the um, member of the government who was negotiating Brexit, <laughs> Dominic Rabb, who, um, he, he, who resigned because he couldn't accept the deal that he'd been negotiating. And it, it, I mean, his argument was somebody had inserted a clause that he didn't agree with. I mean, it's an absolutely chaotic mess. Listeners, <laughs> as learners of English, I, I'm always aware of, you know, Dad, uh, uh, my audience obviously are all learners of English, and I'm always aware of the fact that we have to try to keep things as clear as possible, because obviously understanding, listening to a conversation between two native speakers like us about just any subject could be difficult for them to follow. But um, I, I almost think this is a bridge too far this time, because... I, I mean, it's almost impossible to understand any of this, even for 
native speakers of English. How about I try to do a simple one? Okay. okay. Two and a half years ago, controversially, we held a referendum on whether we should be members of the EU or not. Mm-hmm. Now, the then Prime Minister, David Cameron, called this referendum stupidly. First of all, because we don't do referendums in our country and it's dangerous territory, you never know what's going to emerge. Mm -hmm. And secondly, the main reason he did it was to silence the critics within his party who kept on going on and on about how we should leave the EU and he was getting fed up with it and he wanted to settle the issue. Because he thought that the people would vote to stay. He did. Um, And um, so when, surprisingly, uh, we voted we shall I say, not me, but the public Mm. voted to leave, he promptly resigned and threw us into this mess. He resigned. Because, you know, a a majority of the members of Parliament, a majority of the members of Parliament, and a majority of the members in the government did not want to leave the EU. Mm -hmm. So the the referendum had kind of gone past parliamentary democracy. And and what, what do they do? Theresa May had supported staying in the EU. Before she was the Prime Minister, yeah. she, she was the Home Secretary? Was yeah, she? she was. Yeah. So, and she campaigned in, a, in, a, in not a particularly passionate way for Remain. Correct. Same with the leader of the opposition, Jeremy Corbyn. Okay. Uh, I so mean, he's never been a big fan of the EU, but he did actually say we should stay in. Okay. So, in this simple version then... Um, Here's Theresa May trying to negotiate us to leave the EU when she doesn't really believe it. So after after David Cameron resigned, Theresa May emerged as the as the one to to become the next leader. Yes. Okay. And then what's happened? So we've been inter- negotiating ever since. But the main problem has been to try her to try to get her Conservative Party that you know is the government to agree what they should do. Mm-hmm. Um, and when she was having difficulty with that, she called a general election. Because she said to strengthen her hand. To, you know, to get more majority in the Commons, more supporters, so that she could push through what she wanted. Because she expected that uh, in the general election, the Conservatives would win a bigger majority. That's correct. But they didn't. But they didn't. In fact, she actually lost the overall majority and had to rely on the Northern Ireland Party to keep her in power. And this Northern Ireland Party is um, the Protestant-backed Democratic Unionist Party, who are very difficult to deal with. And they have some rather strange ideas, but also they they are very, very strongly of the view that Northern Ireland mustn't be in any way different status from the rest of the country. And that is proving to be a problem. So there we were. She's she's still there in number 10 Downing Street, struggling to come up with a deal that will satisfy everybody, negotiating with, with uh, Brussels. The Brexit secretary, who was called David Davis, resigned because he, he you know, he just resigned. Um, we're not quite sure why. Uh, another what? Brexit secretary Wait, came in. He has now resigned. We've now got a third one. But David Davis resigned because he basically didn't accept. I mean, he was the Brexit secretary, right? But it, as far as I could tell, he wasn't even there for most of the negotiations. No, no. I mean, you know, obviously Theresa May was driving things and he didn't think they, that she was being tough enough. She gave, in fact, perhaps he was given the job of Brexit secretary just to keep the Brexiteers happy. But in fact, <laughs> it was an, an, a role that didn't actually mean anything. Yes. He didn't do anything. Okay. Um, I mean, he was useless. But the, your, your, your listeners have probably lost it by now. So we, we are really confused. What I was going to say was, as we stand now, mm-hmm. everyone's saying, well, what's going to happen next? That's very interesting. And the next week or so is going to be particularly interesting. We have the Prime Minister, Theresa May, saying, here is the deal. And it's called the Chequers Deal because that's the country house of the Prime Minister. And that was where, apparently, they reluctantly agreed it. So it's still the Chequers Deal? It is still the Chequers oh, Deal. Okay. And, um, but the, uh, the, the problem she's got is that a lot of her support um, MPs mm-hmm. and even some of the members of her government will not accept this Chequers Deal. And the main reason for that is that they think that we will divide Great Britain, we will divide the United Kingdom Mm. by giving Northern Ireland a separate status in the trading agreements. Yeah, because... It's about the border, the Irish border, and what's called the backstop. Never mind about why it's called a backstop, but the, the, the EU needs a border. There is a land border between the Republic of Ireland and the North, Northern Ireland, which is part of the UK. Mm-hmm. So they keep saying, well, what, what, what's the plan for the border then? 
and both the Republic of Ireland and Northern Ireland and London and indeed EU don't want to have a border again within the island of Ireland. Because, ladies and gents, for most of us, we remember those border posts were often blown up. Yes. You know, that's what we think of, right? When we think of a hard border... Slinging a border across the island of Ireland would inflame the um, the nationalists who want a united Ireland to an extent you'd probably return to the troubles and the bombings and the shootings, which is the last thing anybody wants. Mm-hmm. So if there's going to be no border across Ireland, where's it going to be? And um, the answer is, well, it's going to be sort of between Northern Ireland and the rest of the UK because we'll make sure that Northern Ireland has a very close trading relationship with the rest of the EU, but this is divisive. And we've even got Scotland saying, well, if they've got a special relationship, we'd like one too, please, <laughs> because we voted to remain in the EU. So so um, we, were, we are talking about a situation where the DUP, the Northern Ireland Party, will not vote for Theresa's deal. Mm-hmm. Uh, the Scots won't vote for Theresa's deal. The Labour Party says they'll vote against Theresa's deal. Mm-hmm. So in order to get it through the House of Commons, she needs some of the Labour MPs and maybe other MPs to rebel against their parties and vote with it because they think this is the best we can get and they don't want to have a no-deal Brexit. A no-deal Brexit means at the end of March next year we would fall out of the EU with absolutely no laws or pr- processes in place. And people even talk about the fact that there would be no lorries going between the two. There would be no aircraft going between the two because there would be no legal framework to allow it to happen. And we're talking about huge queues of of lorries, both in Calais and in Dover, filled up with food, uh, which then has to be stored and would probably go off. So we're talking about huge containers of rotting food. That's the worst case scenario. And of course, a shortage of medicines and and all sorts of things. Yeah, not enough medicine in in pharmacies and uh, and in hospitals and... uh, supermarket shelves with no food on them and you know so stuff like that Theresa may thinks look you don't much like my deal but it's better than no deal and Mm. uh, it does mean we actually leave the eu so the people who want to really leave have to say well i suppose this is better than nothing um and what that where that leaves us is what about the people who don't want us to leave at all well that's interesting in order for us to have another referendum which is what it would take in which we would have a different result and we would decide we aren't going to leave at all, you'd have to have a general election. Mm. And I think the Labour Party would have to win it. Okay. And then the Labour Party would have to agree that there should be a second referendum. So there's never going to be a second referendum with the Conservatives in power? No, I don't think so. But just because there are enough people in the Tory party who are so hardcore about Brexit that they would never allow it to happen. That's right. Okay. But even if we did, if if there was a general election and Labour somehow managed to win uh, and then they called a referendum and the referendum turned out to be, okay, narrow majority to remain, that's a draw. That's just (laughs) 1-1. We'd need a third referendum or a penalty shootout in order to settle the matter. So it's if, if, if this, if that, maybe, possibly. I mean, most commentators still seem to think that we will leave the EU at the end of March with a transition period. There is a 21-month transition period built into this first agreement, Mm. um, which would allow everybody to get their act together and solve certain problems and allow us to to negotiate our future trading relationship with the EU. So I think most people, if they really had to bet, would bet that this will probably get through even now. But nobody is sure at all. Uh, Theresa May could be replaced by the Tory party. She could be. Really? Um, Their mechanism for that, I don't want to bore your (laughs) listeners too much, the the Conservative Party chooses their leader amongst the members of Parliament. Okay? It's the members of Parliament who choose their leader. All of the the elected... yeah, all yeah. the elected MPs okay. that represent the, the constituencies around the country and sit in the Houses of, uh, House of Commons. Yeah, it the, doesn't go to a vote of party members around the country. It's just the members of parliament who decide. And, and, it's, and it's one of those members of parliament who, who could be the, the, yes, the leader. Yes, and the there's leader. a number of them who clearly would quite like the idea of being a prime minister, even though it sounds to me like it's a terrible job. And... Um, 
And the mechanism is that 48, I don't know why it's 48, but 48 members of parliament have got to write a letter of no confidence in their leader, essentially calling for a change of leader. And they send this to the chairman of the backbench committee, the chairman of the MPs of the party. Um, And he has to count them up. And if there's 48 of them, then they have a leadership contest immediately, like Mm -hmm. the next day. Mm -hmm. Um, Has he had 48 letters? He's not saying. (laughs) The the chairman of this committee who has to receive the letters, 48 Mm -hmm. of them, if they're going to have a contest against Theresa May... Mm -hmm. He's not saying how many letters he's had so far. He says he hasn't even told his wife. What? <laughs> his wife is actually his secretary. So, but but ru- but rumor has it that there they he has received about twenty five, maybe thirty letters. The chances of forty eight MPs saying we want to have a change of leader, I think, are a little bit remote. If it did happen, and if there then was a leadership contest, I don't know whether you know, Theresa May would be defeated. Because, well, take us through that. Who are the, in your mind, who are the potential candidates there? Oh, I don't know. The, 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 you know, the, people talk about Boris Johnson simply mm-hmm. because they know him, you know, yeah. because they know his name and, and because, he's a character. But he's very, very divisive in the, in the party. He has no integrity. No one knows what he believes apart from he believes in Boris Johnson. Mm-hmm. And there are others. Michael Gove is a senior member of the cabinet. He voted for Brexit, um, and he's cunning and clever. I mean, he might emerge. David Davis, the former Brexit secretary, is still in the frame, amazingly enough, even though I personally think he's inept. Uh, Going back to Michael Gove, so he's cunning and he's kind of strategic and stuff, but he's also a backstabber, isn't he? Because he originally went back to when um, David Cameron resigned and the Tories were looking for a new leader and they had their leadership contest, the one that Theresa May ultimately won. Boris Johnson was one of the high-profile candidates. And Michael Gove publicly said, I'm supporting Boris. And then at the last minute, he said, oh, actually, no, I'm not supporting Boris. I'm going to put myself forward. <laughs> yes, that's right. He so, stabbed him in well, the back. This, this is classic stuff, isn't it? I mean, it's um, I mean, it's all details for your listeners. But the fact is that the, the bottom line, as they say, is that the government is deeply divided mm-hmm. on this issue and struggling towards some kind of agreed position. And the other 27 member states of the EU must think we've all gone mad. I mean, they, you know, whenever you get comments from Germany, France, other places, they say, well, we're waiting for them to make up their mind what they want. And here we are in, in just five months away from the date we're, we're supposed to leave. And we still don't know what the situation is going to be. We don't know who the Prime Minister is going to be. We don't know what the um, whether there will have to be an election and some kind of delay agreed with the EU. Or maybe Theresa May just manages to stagger on as she done, has done for so long and we finish up accepting this, uh, this first stage agreement, the withdrawal agreement, which means we would leave and there would be 21 months when we organise trade relationships and other things. Some, some of the things that I've noticed in the news which have been particularly stunning have been the fact that it, some of the MPs who campaigned for Brexit in the first place are now criticising uh, Theresa May's deal in ways that contradict what they said in, the, in, in their original position. Yes. You know, and, and so it's kind of like suddenly the, the, peop- the people are saying, no, this... Oh, I, I can't even put it into words, but well, it's like you, up know. is down and down is up and left is right. I know and right what you mean. The, the, one of the reasons that everybody is confused is that um, there are so many ironies. Irony is a tricky word, tricky concept. Let's call them contradictions. You mm-hmm. say they're contradicting themselves. Let's call them contradictions. So, for example... Um, one of the leading Brexiteers said he's resigned from the government because we're going to be in a position where we have to um, follow their rules without a say at the table and um, we, uh, we won't have any commissioner 
in, in Brussels, and we won't have any MEPs. And you think, wait a minute, wait a minute. You, you was campaigning to leave the EU. Of course we're not going to have a commissioner on any MEPs. We're leaving the EU. Yeah, that's Why what can you that be to... an argument against yeah. the deal that Theresa May is putting forward? I can't remember the name of the, of the uh, MP who actually said that. Do you remember who that was? It was a female MP... There's a was clip. it Esther McVeigh? I mean, was it Esther McVeigh? I think it may have been. Let's, let's just say, I'm not sure. Hello, everyone. It's just me uh, interrupting myself there in order to do a bit of fact-checking, which is necessary here. So it wasn't actually Esther McVeigh. It wasn't actually Esther McVeigh who said that. It was, in fact, uh, Nadine Dorries um, who uh, made that statement. Uh, in fact, let me just... In fact, I can play it to you. Here is this is Nadine Dorries who voted for Leave and uh, was strongly in support of of hard Brexit and still is. Uh, but this is uh, what she said. Well, look, can I just say, none of us want to be here. This is a very sad place to be. But unfortunately, the future of the country and our relationship with Europe is at stake. Um, this deal gives us no voice, no votes, no MEPs, no commissioner. Okay, this this deal give us gives us no uh, voice, no votes, no MEPs, no commissioner. So this is from the Independent, okay, Independent.co.uk, um, and it goes like this: uh, Leave voting MP Nadine Dorries slams May's Brexit deal because the UK won't have seats in European Parliament. Theresa May's Brexit deal has been slammed by. Leave supporting MP Nadine Dorries because it means the UK will be left without any members of the European Parliament. The Tory backbencher, who campaigned tirelessly to get the country out of Europe, said Mrs May's deal would leave the UK without any influence in Europe. This is a very sad place to be, she told Sky News. But unfortunately, the future of the country and of our relationship with Europe is at stake. This deal gives us no voice, no votes, no MEPs, no commissioner. Her words were met with astonishment online. So just to be clear, ladies and gents, this is a woman who was talking about how, well, she was cam- she campaigned and still does um, go on and on and on about how the UK needs to get out of Europe. And here she is criticising May's deal because it would leave us with no members of European Parliament. What? And I know what you're thinking, listeners. You're thinking, what? Is she stupid? And, well, I'm thinking the same thing. Uh, The report on the Independence website continues with this. Ladies and gentlemen, this is the quality of our politicians right now, one Twitter user noted. The intellect of a boiled cabbage. Author and Remainer J.K. Rowling was somewhat more succinct. She tweeted an emoji of a head exploding. You know that emoji that you've got in your phone of like, like mind blown? That's the one that J.K. Rowling tweeted. Um, And the report continues. It's not the first admission to make voters wonder if leave-supporting politicians knew exactly what they were campaigning for during the referendum. Just last week, leave voter and ex-Brexit secretary Dominic Rabb let slip that he hadn't quite understood how heavily UK trade relies on the Dover-Calais Channel crossing. I don't know if you saw that, ladies and gents. Some of you who have been following this story will have seen I think probably on Twitter, social media, on TV, in the newspapers, something like that, you would have seen Dominic Rabb, the former Brexit secretary, or although he said this while he was Brexit secretary, in a speech talking about, actually, I, did, I never realised just how much trade uh, we had across the, the channel between Dover and Calais. Meaning, basically, he didn't realise himself, oh, how could you not realise that we do a lot of trade with Europe between Dover and which is in England, and Calais, which is on the coast of France. How could he not realise that? It just makes the mind boggle. It really does. Like, how can these people make these statements? Surely they must know. How? Anyway, it, no, it's very confusing and very frustrating and weird and annoying and all sorts of other adjectives. Uh, but anyway, the point here uh, was for me to just say that it was Nadine Dorries who made that statement, not Esther McVeigh, in fact. Okay, all right, let's carry on then with the Rick Thompson report. 
face. So she originally um, campaigned for us to leave the EU, which obviously means that we wouldn't have any European MPs or any um, members of the Commission. Uh, correct. Right. And now she's criticising Theresa May's deal by saying, well, in this deal, we won't have any European members of Parliament or any commissioners. Yes. Like, well, sorry, that's what you, that's what you wanted. <laughs> so it's bizarre, isn't it? But um, the, the arguments have never been particularly... Coherent. Well articulated, or coherent. Um, you know, because it it's more emotion than rationale. Yeah, and the uh, the people who you know wanted us to leave the EU keep on using these phrases like uh, we are being blackmailed by the EU, we're being bullied by the EU. You know, w- we we want to take back control of everything. Right? <laughs> That's the famous slogan for the referendum take back control well a lot of people thought yes yes i think we should take back control we don't sounds want to, good doesn't do we, it uh, we, we don't want to be told what to do by these unelected people in brussels well there's no no understanding of what actually all that means they don't understand that uh, you know we are an, currently an alliance of 28 democratic countries and have volunteered to pool sovereignty to solve problems that can only be solved together yeah. and and yet no one would speak up for the EU and even to this day hardly anybody will say the EU is a terrific institution unique in the history of Europe and what are we doing walking away look at all the advantages nobody seems to be able to say that why not well I think it's largely because of the anti-European press but it's also because they're afraid of what happened in the referendum you know a lot of MPs represent constituencies that voted to leave the EU Mm. So they feel they have to represent their constituents and follow what they want. So it's kind of the leaders who know what they're talking about have to follow the crowd who don't know what they're talking about. And the, and the reason that they don't know what they're talking about is because for the last few decades, uh, the, the people's opinions have been poisoned, influenced, maybe that's a, a more diplomatic way of putting it, by the press and by various other sources that have been slowly but surely, drip, 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 um, introducing this idea that the EU is a, a bad thing. And that, you know, I think that's undeniable. If anyone was listening to this who is, you know, a, a British Brexiteer, they'd probably be jumping up and down with rage at the moment that I can, you know, be so... Um, shall we say, patronising about people who voted to leave the EU not knowing what they were doing. It can sound patronising, and, and the trouble is I don't think anybody in the referendum knew that, what they were doing. And on both sides, the information about exactly how the EU operates and what it does and how it, you know, what its uh, benefits are and its failings was extremely badly laid out, particularly by the written press. And you cannot deny that a lot of the popular papers were hysterically anti-EU, and it must have influenced people's thinking. Yeah. It must have done. So there we are, folks. It's all as clear as mud. So um, so just in the last couple of weeks then, as I said, Twitter going mad, people resigning. That's just because, well, why? What, why was Twitter going mad? Well, I mean, Twitter is always a bit mad. Yeah, uh, obviously, but, but, but like, uh, even more but, than normal, why, you know. Oh, and, there were so many developments going on. And, uh, and obviously, when Theresa May had her cabinet meeting, so inside number 10 Downing Street... Mm-hmm. The cabinet, that is all the senior ministers and the junior ministers, all get together and said, right, this is it. This is the deal that has been accepted by the EU and it's uh, and oh, you EU's have got to support it. it. Yes, Michel Barnier said this is OK for us. Wow. Um, and and it, this meeting went on for how long? Four and a half hours? And um, at the end of it all, Theresa May emerged and she had a press conference and said the you know, the cabinet have endorsed this deal. Well, within a few minutes, uh, the Brexit secretary resigned, and then another minister, a Northern Ireland minister, resigned, mm-hmm. and then a couple of junior ministers resigned. Why? Because they couldn't support it. Why? You know, obviously a majority of the cabinet supported it, but it wasn't a unanimous decision. Mm. And if they couldn't support the deal, I suppose they thought they had to resign. Um, So it started to fall apart a bit. And uh, other ministers let it be known that they were very unhappy. And so the ability of Theresa May of get this through the House of Commons is the first big hurdle 
can she get them to vote for it? Mm. Uh, well, actually, the first big hurdle is to is to see whether there will be a challenge to her leadership. Then she's got to get get it through the House of Commons, and then in a week today, she would go off to Brussels again for another summit okay. to kind of sign on the dotted line that's scheduled provisionally for the twenty fifth of November. But obviously, if something big happens back at home, they won't hold it. So hold on. Theresa May had a meeting with their cabinet and said, look, here's the deal. The EU say it's okay. So, guys, what do you think? She needed a unanimous decision, did she? Well, cabinet responsibility is the way it's normally called in in our country and probably in other countries, similar Mm -hmm. kind of thing, Mm -hmm. that if you're in the government, you know, in the cabinet, you have to make collective decisions and support them. Uh, And that's called collective responsibility. Well, obviously, in this case, there were a few people who could not sign up to this, you know, agreement. Therefore, they would say, no, sorry, I can't can't agree to this. I resign. And and often these resignations are a sort of a protest as well, aren't they, against against the deal? When when, when politicians resign, it's for various reasons. Often they will resign as a way of saying, I can't support this, and so I stand down as a way of protesting against it. Yes, it is. It's the ultimate protest, really, to say, I I can't support this, so I'm leaving my job. Uh, And, of course, people who resign from governments, you know, always happens for one reason or another, normally, because they simply can't agree with what the Mm. government's going to do. So so does that mean that then, uh, like, I'm just saying, why can't Theresa May go to the EU now with this deal and go, hey, guys, look, let's do it. You know, because she has to go to the House of Commons uh, and there was uh, a debate and a vote and it approved the idea that there had to be, I quote, a meaningful vote on any deal put to the EU. So the next thing that must happen is the Commons must have a so-called meaningful vote, which means yes or no on this deal before she can go off to Brussels and say the government has agreed it. So she, not only does she have to get the support of her cabinet, she also needs to have a basically meaningful yes vote from the whole of the House of Commons, all of the other MPs, before she can then take it to Europe. Yes, it's both technically correct, what you just said, but also I think it's common sense. Yeah, she you know she couldn't go yeah. off to EU and negotiate something if the House of Commons later on was going to going to jump up and down and reject, or if they hadn't even had a chance to to say what yes. they thought about it. Okay, and so so th- is that the next step? Or, I mean, yeah, it's all yeah. going to happen this this coming week. Okay, so the, all the MPs are going to vote yes or no for this deal. We think so, right? Even though some of the members of the cabinet have said no. Correct. So they did. She didn't need a unanimous decision, or at least maybe you know, forty-five or forty-six out of is it how many votes? How many people in the cabinet again? Oh, oh. I don't know how many. Okay, so anyway, let's, let's say let's say most of the people in the cabinet said yes, but a couple of people were no, can't do this. I'm out. More than a couple. I think a number of people have expressed their concerns for having to actually resign. Right. And there's a group now of um, strongly uh, pro Brexit. Uh, senior members who are meeting privately Mm. Mm. and they've come up with their plan which they want to uh, put back to brussels and say we think that Theresa may should go back to brussels and say there are just a few things here we need to change uh, because they're unacceptable um so they're trying to get her to renegotiate this deal that michel barnier has said is acceptable Uh, i don't think they can a lot a lot of the sources uh, in Brussels and beyond in the member states say a, a lot of the countries think they've given too much they think it'll you know being in some kind of customs arrangement mm. with the EU is too close to being in the single market without being in the EU and without paying into it so the the customs arrangement that's in this deal that the EU have, have basically given the thumbs up to would mean that um, we would have an, an agreement that means that, um, that you wouldn't have such stringent customs controls over goods being imported. And yes, exported. the outline agreement says we would have a customs arrangement which was in pretty much aligning the UK's um, arrangements with the EU's. So they would be pretty well 
the same. So that would mean, and that, that would mean pretty well frictionless trade. So which means, um, but which, 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 which frictionless trade just basically means that stuff can come into the country without it having to be stopped and checked for three hours. Yeah, that it can the just thousands th- of huge trucks that come in and out of the UK each day. Yeah, um, would be able to flow to and fro much as they do now. So you can imagine member states yeah. saying, "Wait a minute." Other member states. Other member states. Other countries. Other countries, like the Czech Republic, which is a little bit Eurosceptic, or Mm -hmm. Sweden, which is a little bit Eurosceptic, saying, wait a minute, they're not members of the single market, they're not paying the costs of all this, not fully anyway, Uh, and yet they still seem to be getting frictionless trade. I mean, can we have that? So a a lot of the countries in the EU are saying, we've already given away too much here, and the idea that Theresa May can go back to them saying, "Uh, just a minute, you know that agreement we had? We'd like to change it in our favour. I think it's unrealistic. It's It's like, imagine trying to do a deal with someone and they they're so annoying. They 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 they're negotiating with you so hard, and they're so annoying, and they're so desperate and pe- pathetic in their negotiation that in the end you make concessions. You're like, oh, okay, all right, you can have that thing. And should we just stop this negotiation? I, 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 now? I don't think they did that because because um, the UK was being so irritating. I, I think I think that there is there are lots of arguments about how. You know, it's Germany and the UK have a huge number of trading links and goods, you know, go to and fro. Germany doesn't want to have some kind of complete mess where it can't get its Mercedes cars into the UK or or whatever. There's a lot of, you know, the the Spanish want to be able to get their fruit into our shops. And we do, we take a lot of fresh fruit from Spain Um, with, you know, so that there are advantages on both sides for having some kind of, nice relationship because britain is a very big market you know we have 65 million people so there are arguments on both sides which Mm. would be in favor of that Mm. but even so you can't see the eu agreeing to any country kind of being in but not being in Uh, you know either you're in the single market and you follow the rules or you're not and that's another reason the brexiteers are unhappy because if we're in a trading relationship like that who rules on the rules? Who, who, where do you go to for adjudication on disputes? Mm. And there can be lots of disputes, yeah. uh, all the way down to is this grade A food or not, according to the rules, or much more complicated things about services. And the answer is, of course, that the European Court of Justice is the arbiter on all European rules, yeah. Europe-wide. Yeah. And the Brexiteers don't want to have the European Court of Justice ruling on us when we've left the EU. So they're trying to have their cake and eat it, as we say. Yeah. Oh, my God. So in, in, f- from the Brexiters' point of view, who would they like to be the arbiters? British uh, British courts, court. Thank you. Obviously. Supreme Court in London. The, 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 yeah. England, the England and Welsh Supreme Court. And the, the Theresa May compromise, this Chequers deal says that there would be an indefinite period where where the whole of the UK is in a customs arrangement and any disputes would be jointly adjudicated on by the Supreme Court and the European Court of Justice. But a joint adjudication means that each one has the power of veto. If, if one of them doesn't agree, then it's not agreed. So that means that the European Court of Justice has the power of veto over our, our laws, and that's not good enough for the Brexiteers. <laughs> It's just a complete mess. Yes, I mean, it is. It's fabulous, isn't it? <laughs> <laughs> um, so, listeners, if you are utterly confused by all of this and you don't understand what's going on, that's fine. That's normal because that's how everybody is feeling at this point. Yes, the, the trouble is it's very serious. And here we are, you know, sort of laughing because mm. it's such a mess and nobody knows what's going to happen next. But it is very serious. And um, there is still quite a lot of people in this country who desperately hope that we will not leave the eu um, and the referendum split the country fairly evenly and since then there's indications that if they had another referendum it would probably would be the other way around 
like and, a, uh, a fraction on yeah, the other not, side. Not significantly. So, yeah. uh, so the country is divided, and Scotland is divided from England because Scotland voted significantly to remain. Northern Ireland voted to remain. I mean, it is a very divisive issue indeed. And um, I think if we leave the EU... Uh, it will get worse, it won't get any better, mm-hmm. and it would probably provoke Scotland to have their own referendum on independence. Yeah. Uh, so you are looking at very high stakes, the breakup of the UK, yeah. as well as if we do leave, I think it'll be economically very damaging and something that the country will regret for many years to come. What would it be like for ordinary folk living in England? Well, I don't think we could move around Europe as easily as we do now. It wouldn't be quite as simple because within the EU, amongst the four freedoms, is the freedom of movement. You can just move around as you wish. And uh, that would not necessarily be open to people living in the UK. And if there is more paperwork involved in trade, that's more difficult. And we would not benefit from being inside the EU's trade deals with other countries. But so also, the EU's done trade deals with Japan, India, various other places. We would have to strike our own. Mm. And the Brexiteers say, oh, wonderful opportunity. We can now strike better deals. But getting a trade deal with another country takes an awfully long time. And there's no guarantee at all that you get a better deal than the 27 member states working yeah. on block. Yeah, exactly. The, the, it's the biggest market there is, yeah. the EU. I mean, I'm talking in terms of money. I know there's more people in India and everything else. Yeah. But in terms of, um, well, certainly in terms of the Western world, the 500 million people of the EU is the biggest market in terms of value. Mm-hmm. Okay. I was going to say something else then. I can't remember what it was now. He's gone, ladies and gentlemen. No, I was, I was going to say, oh, damn, I can't remember. I'm ed- obviously going to edit this, this bit. He's out. got a cold, I should tell you all. Luke has got a terrible cold. Mm-hmm. So has his wife. Yeah, um, and it's not a nice one, and and this is the one with the cough and and everything that's been going around yeah. the place. It's a kind of um, a minor plague going across Europe at the moment. This cold. Yeah, that's right, and um, yeah, so I'm I'm tired and sick, and this is obviously why I'm not able to. Um, collect all my thoughts together in the normally very fluid way that I, I do on a podcast. <laughs> Plus the fact that the subject is so complicated that it leaves us speechless. Yeah, it Anyway, does. enough of all that. So you've moved into your new place, moved into your new Skypod. Yes. Looks very smart. Yes. Very nice. It's nice, isn't it? Yeah. Not yeah. quite the same view as you had before. Nope. Nope. Well, can't I, see the Eiffel Tower. No, can't see the Eiffel Tower. I can see the 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 light of the Eiffel Tower because oh. you know you know at night it has like a sort of a, a sort of a searchlight kind of thing that oh, a bit right. a bit like a, a lighthouse, okay. you know, a, a light that that goes around. Uh, uh, there's actually there's two lights. There's one on either side, and it, they go round. This is to make sure no round ships round. collide with it. I don't know. I think it's extravagance. Basically, <laughs> it's the Eiffel Tower going. I'm fabulous, basically. It's all lit up and there's a big light on the top that goes around and around. And when you look at the Eiffel Tower uh, at night, there's, yeah, there's this... uh, Basically, in Paris, if you look up at the sky at night, you can often see, like, the beam of light passing over. And so I can see the light beam of the Eiffel Tower from my my seat here at night if i'm ever up here at night and so yeah i can see the light go past sometimes but no i don't get the view instead looking out the window i can see the sky because we are on right. we're on the top we're at the top of the building so it's still the sky pod it is the sky pod you've got the sky and you've got the sweeping lights which is either the eiffel tower or ufos that's right yeah exactly maybe it's the ufos coming in to rescue us from uh, from all this madness yes. Right. Yeah, okay. Well, I well, mean, thank you, Luke. Um, I'm sorry if it was a little bit confusing for everybody, but it's confusing for us too. Okay, well, anyway, Dad, thanks for talking to us. Uh, even though it is confusing, um, I think you still managed to bring some valuable clarity of sorts to it. And my listeners always appreciate hearing you talk about well, it. Well, I hope so. And I hope it hasn't been too boring and confusing no. for them. And we'll, we'll no doubt come back to it uh, at some stage when we know what on earth is going to happen. Yeah, okay. All right, then. Thank you. Bye, bye, bye. Right, so I wonder how many of you are still alive, he said jokingly. I mean, I wonder how many people are still listening to this after that. I think probably on the plus side, just a sort of assessing this episode, on the plus side, you get my dad, which is always a treat, isn't it? 
I mean, a treat, like a nice thing that you can enjoy, like a sort of almost like a reward for doing something. I don't know what the reward was for you this time, just for a reward for being listeners to this podcast. You see, it's a rewarding thing, isn't it? Being a, a lepster, you just get all these nice things, like you get to listen to my dad talking. Um, I'm not slapping myself on the back, maybe a little bit, but not trying to. Um, I'm just sort of reminding you that, hey, it's all right, isn't it, listening to this podcast, especially if, you, if you're still listening, right? If you manage to get through all of that discussion about complicated politics and you're still listening, you're still holding on, then well done to you. Um, now, obviously, this is a podcast for learners of English, and uh, we're not exact. We're not really teaching you language in this episode. I tend to do the the language teaching stuff in the premium subscription these days. Don't worry, I'm not going to do a big premium advert right now. Although it is available, teacherluke.co.uk/slash/premium. Um, but so, we weren't really teaching you all the language of Brexit and stuff. I have done that in previous episodes. If you check the episode archive, I think it's somewhere around episode 350. Uh, I did an episode called The Language of Brexit. And I do actually go into uh, some detail defining and explaining a lot of the terms that are involved in the subject of Brexit. Um, so, you could go back and check that one if you wanted to like get into some of the vocab. Um, so anyway, we weren't really teaching the language in this episode, just attempting to talk to you about the subject in a clear way. But as I've said already several times, that's quite hard, isn't it? It's quite hard to understand all of this stuff, but you're still listening. So good for you. That's the main thing. Just get the English in, just try and listen, try and enjoy it. Exposure to the language, noticing uh, vocab, you know, paying attention. It might be worth going back and listening to that conversation again and just trying to notice certain bits of language this time. Um, I mean, how, what do you do if you if you hear a word, you don't know how it's spelt? What do you do? I suppose you just have to guess, really, don't you? You just have to think, what's that word that you just said there? Uh, let's listen to it again. You you run the episode back, you know, you just press the button that allows you to skip back a few seconds, listen to the word again, make a guess, type it into Google and see what happens and just keep guessing. I mean, that's one idea. Um, I mean, you know, it would, it would help, wouldn't it, if I could just provide you with word for word, perfect transcriptions of all these episodes. But um, sorry, it's not always possible. But you could, you could check the Orion Team's transcription project, which you can check out on the website, teacherluke.co.uk, my website. Click transcripts and you can read about the transcription uh, collaboration project. Uh, and by the time you listen to this, the Orion Team might have already transcribed this entire episode, in which case they might have covered that word that you don't know. That's the sort of thing that the Orion transcription team do. They work fast. They get uh, they get organised. They divide up the chunk uh, an episode into chunks, and then they transcribe those small chunks, which allows them to work quite quickly to transcribe episodes of the podcast. So, you as a listener, you could either just read their transcriptions. They might not be perfect. They might not be a hundred percent perfect, but you might find that word that you don't that you didn't know, or at least you might be able to raise it as a question, or someone else might have spelt it correctly. You know what I mean? You could work together to sit to to solve the vocab mystery that you had. Um, or alternatively, you could become a member of the Orion transcription team. Orion. It's called Orion because that's named after a constellation of stars, because everyone who takes part in the Orion it, uh, transcription project is a star in their own right for having the wherewithal to uh, to actually uh, try and transcribe episodes of the podcast wherewithal. Okay, I'll spell that word. W-H-E-R-E-W-I-T-H-A-L. Wherewithal. Wherewith. Wherewithal. Okay. Wherewithal is uh, like the the, the means that you need for a particular purpose. I suppose that the, the wherewithal could be money, like the money that you'd need to do something, but it could also be a particular set of skills that you would need in order to achieve something. So uh, if you're the sort of person who has the wherewithal to 
become a member of the Orion transcription team, then I suppose that just means you've got the right attitude. You've got the right, you, you've got the right stuff to, to do it. Luke, you're rambling in a big way here. Okay. Uh, what were some of the things I was thinking? Sometimes when I upload these episodes, I actually have concerns. I have worries. Obviously, one of those concerns is that, oh, they're just not going to understand any of it. Oh, they're going to be alienated. They're going to stop listening. It's all going to go wrong. My podcast is just going to, I don't know, it'll just end up um, on a desert island like Robinson Crusoe, just stuck on a desert island. That's not possible, Luke. How can a podcast be on a desert island? I don't know. What I'm just, what I'm trying to say is that I worry that when episodes are complicated that you'll all get kind of, you'll just give up, you just stop listening and just listen to BBC Six Minute English or something instead because it's six minutes and it's really easy because they've they've transcribed it all in advance. Uh, Maybe you'll all just stop listening to me and just listen to that or listen to something else. I don't know. Uh, But if you're listening to this, that means that hasn't happened. So, you know, I don't need to worry. Uh, what else do I worry about? Um, oh, that's it. The other thing was um, the timeliness of this, the timeliness. Time is of the essence in this episode. Uh, I don't know when you're listening to this. Um, I recorded this. Uh, I recorded that conversation with my dad yesterday, which was the 18th, Sunday, the 18th of November. Time is very important because the week that's coming, that's the week of... Monday the 19th until, what is it, Monday 19th, 20th, 19th, 20th, 21, 22, uh, till Friday the 23rd of November, I think that's right, it's quite late, so numbers might be wrong. Anyway, this coming week is going to be an eventful week, because, um, you know, Theresa May needs to get uh, agreement from her government about this deal, and, you know, members of the government, members of the Conservative Party have been moving around and whispering to each other and trying to decide what they're going to do. And Is there going to be a, um, a leadership contest? Are they going to vote, uh, have a vote of no confidence in Theresa May? Is Theresa May going to be out? Are we going to get a new prime minister? Uh, or are they going to agree to the deal? And suddenly we've got an actual Brexit deal that people have agreed to on or not you know no one knows what's going to happen so um by the time you listen to this everything might be completely different um so that's the other thing i was thinking about of like well by the time they listen to this it might all be out of date uh, anyway i shouldn't worry should i i think that on balance the main thing is that you've just listened to um a a, a decent conversation about a complex and yet very important subject, if you care about the UK at all uh, and the and Europe, um, you've just listened to this conversation. You've just heard loads of English, and you didn't stop. Okay, and you're still listening and you're paying attention. That's good. That's the main thing. Um, it's nice listening to my dad. I'm lucky to have a dad who, uh, you know. I'm just lucky. I'm not. I'm lucky to have a dad. <laughs> I could just end the sentence there, but I'm lucky to have uh, this particular dad as well. Okay, I'm going to stop now. Um, it's quite late. I'm tired and I'm rambling, and I need to go to bed. I, I need my rest. I need my beauty sleep, as they say. Uh, but we will see what happens this week in the world of Brexit, and maybe you can leave a comment on the in the comment section. Just perhaps just commenting on any developments that have occurred since um you listened to since this was recorded yeah all right then i think i'll stop here uh i i want to you sh- there should be new episodes of the podcast coming soon but there have been all sorts of complicated things happening like you know i talked about it in the last episode the house move is still ongoing we've still got loads of stuff in the old flat we need to give the keys back on thursday so we've got to kind of find the time to get all that stuff out like there's just still bits and pieces so we need to rent a van again on wednesday and do more transporting and yet more transporting i thought it was all nearly done but no 
no, there's still more to be done. And the other thing is that in the last episode, I said that the guys from Orange, Orange, you know, the uh, telephone company, uh, the telecoms company, they were supposed to come last week and fit, uh, you know, provide us with internet, connect the internet in the flat. But no, no, not possible. It's just a typical situation. They came, the engineers came and looked around and they were like, uh, bah non, c'est pas possible, which basically means, oh, I'm sorry, it's not possible. And um, various angry conversations with Orange on the telephone. And basically it turns out that no, there's no there's no fibre optic internet available in, in this building, according to the technicians. Orange say that there is. The technicians are like, no, there isn't. And so, and then there's my wife and me going, but just, can we just have internet, please? Um, so apparently they're sending another technician um, later on this week. And this is a, they've, they just, they told us that we'll send a grade three technician uh, on, on Thursday, a grade three. Te- I don't even know if that's good. Uh, I mean, I assume that's a good thing that they're a grade three technician. I mean, what do you think? Does grade three, does that sound good or not? I mean, grade three, there's no, we have no way of knowing. They just said, we'll send a grade three technician as if that's a good thing. I mean, God knows. Is, is it is that better than a grade two or worse than a grade two technician? I don't know. And what, what grade were the technicians they gave us last week? No idea. So anyway, we might not have internet still. And instead, they've... Re- provided us with this little 4G internet box thing, which gives us a a fairly crappy and fairly unreliable 4G internet connection. Some of you out there who are in, who work in telecoms or at least know about technology are thinking, what do you mean crappy 4G? 4G is good. Well, yeah, 4G internet connection is good when the box works, but the box just seems to keep cutting out. Like my computer is connected to the box and I'm happily browsing the internet doing the things I need to do and then next thing you know like sorry no internet available why what happened the box has turned itself off it's not run out of batteries it just gave up for a bit it's like oh I need a break that's what the box did it just said sorry no I was just doing something else for a bit just fell asleep sorry so just frustrating and then being ill and uh so anyway, I've got, I want to produce more episodes. I've got premium episodes that need to be worked on and then published. November so far has been a quiet month for Luke's English Podcast. And if you're a premium subscriber, you might be thinking, hello, where's our premium stuff? Uh, I think we need a bit of premium stuff, please. I'm well aware of that. And I'm sitting here sort of smouldering with frustration that, you know, I don't have the time or the resources to be able to produce the stuff that uh, you deserve, basically. But episodes are coming. Brace yourselves. Episodes are coming. Um, I'm now going to stop talking because this this is going to get too long, this episode. Um, and I don't want that to happen, do I? Oh, no, we don't want things to be too long. You don't want too much podcast, do you? Okay. Thank you so much for listening, folks. You're great. Thank you for being good listeners and all that stuff. I'll speak to you again soon. But for now, goodbye. Bye, 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 bye. Thanks for listening to Luke's English Podcast. For more information, visit teacherluke.co.uk. deserves the best and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings. From premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts. Start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. 
If you enjoyed this episode of Luke's English Podcast, consider signing up for Luke's English Podcast Premium. You'll get regular premium episodes with stories, vocabulary, grammar and pronunciation teaching from me and the usual moments of humour and fun. Plus, with your subscription, you will be directly supporting my work and making this whole podcast project possible. For more information about Luke's English Podcast Premium, go to teacherluke.co.uk slash premium info.